Welcome back. <laughs> All right. All right, gentlemen, here we go. Okay. You guys ready? Cheers. Cheers. Are we recording? Yep. We're always recording. Wait, are we recording? Yeah, yeah we're recording. <laughs> yeah, this is such a good drink. This is happiness. I might have this. Deliciousness in a glass. I might have this at Welcome work. to Three and a Half Gentlemen. Three and a Half Gentlemen. <laughs> the podcast for three of the four hosts. Three of the four hosts. Apparently, they're not happy with the way I deliver. You sound fucking cool. Mom. What are you talking about? I'm just trying to be like you. Can I not be <laughs> like you? I want to grow out my You're my bangs, fucking so Tyler kind of Durden. Blocks. You're my Tyler Durden. You are my Tyler. Are you real? Welcome to Three and a Half Gentlemen, the podcast where three of the four hosts provide a refined and intellectual analysis of movies from our private collections, and one of us who tries desperately to keep up. We'll let you decide which host is which, but for now, my name is Sean, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Jeremiah. What up, yo? Brandon. And Eddie. Oh my god. Hi. <laughs> With every review, our goal is to answer a simple question. How many drinks does it take to get through each selection? At the end of the podcast, we'll rate the movie based on a scale of 0 to 5. 0 being that you can watch the film Stone Cold Sober, and 5 being that the only way to get through it is to be blackout drunk. In addition to our review, we pair each selection with a cocktail, a particularly delicious cocktail tonight, that we hope will enhance a viewing experience. We invite you now to shake, stir, or mix the cocktail we've chosen and settle in for what we hope will be an engaging review. For legal reasons, we don't condone or encourage anyone under the age of 21 to drink along with us. And of course, because we live in a ridiculous society where people are stupid. 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 We must ask you not to drink and drive if you're listening to us in the car. What movie do we want to slug out tonight, gentlemen? Oh, I see what you did there with slug out. I'm going to give you the upper cup right here. And we've got the 1999 Mindbender Fight Club, based on the 1996 novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Very good. It was a tough word to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> I've only read like uh, most of his books, but I'm like, mm, how do you say that one? Okay. It was directed by David Fincher, the one and only David Fincher, and stars Brad Pitt, the one and only Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, we can leave him, take him, and Helena Bonham Carter. I love you, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Norton plays the unnamed narrator who is discontented with his white-collar job. He forms a fight club with a soap salesman named Tyler Durden and becomes embroiled in a relationship with him and a destitute woman, Marla Singer. Fincher was selected to direct this because of his enthusiasm for the story. He developed a script with Jim Ools and sought screenwriting advice from the cast and others in the film industry. He and the cast compared the film to Rebel Without a Cause from 1955 and The Graduate, 1967, with a theme of conflict between Generation X and the value system of advertising. Eddie, you want to tell us about the cocktail for tonight? Oh my god, it's so good. But as we mentioned earlier, with each movie, we try to pair the tone, feel, and overall impact of the story with a cocktail. For instance, when we watch a Bond movie, we'll pair it with a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred, with a lemon peel. Uh, sometimes the drink will be referenced directly in the film, and other times the drink will simply be inspired by the film. Tonight, since Jeremiah is the one who chose this film. Yes, he did. I remember that. He's in charge of the cocktail. <laughs> Jeremiah, what do we have tonight? It must have been someone else, man. I've been myself on that. Well, tonight, gentlemen, we got a split personality cocktail that's too clever for its own good. It's called the Tyler Durton drink. And you know what, gentlemen? I think we have a winner. Oh, it's delicious. It's very good. I approve. Yeah. 
Tyler Durden would have. You know, we've done a lot. I need of, round lot, two. We've done a lot of cocktails so far, and I would I would hazard a guess to say that apart from the Moscow Mule and the uh, Monster uh, Monster Jaeger, Jaeger <laughs> this is you know, well, this is my favorite uh, in third place for sure. I think it's a little tied to the second. Mm-hmm. I could I could go with the tie. You know, but fun fact: there was a Fight Club theme bar in New York that closed down called the Durton. Which would have been really cool to go because it was a Fight Club theme bar, and I would have loved to be a part of that. But I imagine they look like something out of the Lou Tavner bar that we saw during the Fight Club movie and everything like that. But I think they should open a new one and call it the Robert Paulson bar. The Robert Paulson bar. His name. The, the classic was Robert. Paulson. The classic cocktail, bitch tits. Oh, I would oh. go there. Sorry, I have to go there. To make this cocktail, you need Seagram Seven, Kahlua, Coke, and a splash of cream. And uh, it should be served in a rocks glass. And for a complete recipe, please see our website at thegentlemanpodcast.com. People, listeners, you need to go and try this, this drink. Good. It's really good stuff. Watch this movie, drink this drink, <laughs> and listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and don't choke on your drink like, like Jeremy just did. All over the face. He's all drubbly. Can't control it. So to give you guys a little background on our selection process, for this first season, we're going to be reviewing movies that are important to each one of us. This movie is particularly important to Jeremy, I think. Jeremy, I think it was Jeremy, actually. (laughs) These are the movies that we feel have in some way shaped how stories have been told throughout time, and even how they'll be told in the future on screen. So we won't be talking about the movie straight through. Instead, we'll let our conversations flow naturally. That said, we'll be touching on different film aspects, including plot, characters, direction, music, cinematography, and anything else that might come up. Gentlemen, let's start slugging away. Jab, jab, jab. Is that the only uh, punch that you know is the jab? Let's do it. Oh, uh, like, he, he just fight clubbed himself. Did you see that? He just did it. First rule. We are we talking about this? Okay, so it was a great podcast, guys. 60 minutes of silence. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Project Mayhem and the opening of the film. Sir, we do not talk about Project Mayhem. <laughs> That's going to be a fun running joke this whole time. It's really not. Okay, anyway. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, heck, I'll start off with this one because uh, I really, really enjoyed this movie, uh, or at least major portions of this movie. Um, It sets it all up at the beginning. And, uh, spoiler alert, um, Bruce Willis is dead in Sixth Sense. Um, (laughs) Spoiler alert. That's right. So, if Black Widow dies. Yeah. Really? She does? Oh, she does. Oh, my God. So... (laughs) Hashtag, I just ended Endgame. <laughs> uh, and hashtag, um, Tyler Durden, a.k.a. We Brad Pitt. Take wait, wait, wait. three drink breaks. Wait, 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 wait. We need to stop for a second. If you're listening right now, and if you have not seen this movie, put it on pause for a half or a second. Or if you haven't seen Endgame, I've realized now either. You should rewind it and then stop it. Go see Endgame. Watch Fight Club and then come back to us, and then you'll hear every little spoilers because we're just going to let it all out. Spoiler so after Tyler you- Durden is the narrator. The narrator is Tyler Durden. It's a figment of his imagination, but he also acts out those uh, inhibitions through Tyler Durden. And after, and after you've watched the movie with two and a half hours of voiceover, you'll have a very good idea about what's going on inside. And you'll head. know exactly what's going on inside your head. So, uh, going back to it, I really enjoyed how we're given the spoiler right from the get-go. In fact, uh, you know, the, the voiceover is uh, maybe at times a little bit much, Sean, but at the same time, I really, really enjoyed the voiceover for a lot of different reasons. But, I mean, within the first three minutes, we get the line, I know this because Tyler knows this. And so that's, I mean, that's a clear indication that they're the same person. We don't realize that until the end when we're looking back on it. 
But uh, Fincher and Oles, they really scripted this so that everything is right there for us at the beginning. We've got the gun in the narrator's mouth, Edward Norton's uh, character's mouth. Um, it's being held by Tyler Durden. We see all of this. And then it's about bringing us back to that point. And I'm not going to lie, I was really excited to watch this movie. Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. The first time uh, we illegally watched it uh, when I was like probably, I want to say like 15. And we told uh, my friend Dylan, we went to his house and we told his mom. That sounds that, like a cool name. No, it was a very cool Tyler name. would respect the shit yeah. out of that. So we went to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or whatever, and we got the movie. And we told my mom, or we told his mom, that it was not like this violent, horrible movie. Oh. Like that it was just this cool movie, like that all the kids were watching. And I remember sitting on the top of his bunk bed. He was on the bottom, I was on the top, and I buried my face in the pillow for half the movie because it was just so grotesque. So, so I was looking forward to trying this again as an adult. Um, and one of the things that I really liked uh, initially, and what I thought I was going to be excited about, is in the first opening little stanza, you had this hate of corporate industry. And I yeah. thought this was going to be like rise up against power and the corporations are taking over the world. Um, sorely disappointed in the end, but that's just, you know, we'll get there. We will get there because it is there. And nope, it's definitely not a, there. It is a, it is a, a punch, no pun intended. Actually, pun really intended. Uh, against consumerism and, and industry. Absolutely. By selling soap and using <clears throat> soap as, yeah. No, okay. No, anyway, no, continue. I think you're wrong, but okay. Uh, Eddie, what you got? So, so Sean, is Dylan like your Tyler this whole time? You think Dylan was there? But it's really just I mean, you? Because there's and you're two, telling he your was mom, a much better basketball you, player than you, I was. No you, problem. You're telling your mom, that, hey, mom, me and Dylan are going to get a movie. And your mom's just like, sure, honey, but can you call me by my first name, please? <laughs> I mean, there are two different types of peoples in the world. There are blockbuster video people and there's Hollywood video people. Yeah. Well, technically, I think Blockbuster went out Red of business, and there was only a Hollywood yeah. video. Sooner or later, everyone became Hollywood video. <laughs> and then it was Redbox, and then now it's, you know, yeah. Netflix. And a long time, it was Netflix discs. I mm. remember watching this movie also when I was 15 with my brother, right? But uh, it's a very unique film, you know, and I think it's a must-watch overall. It, even, you know, after the store, and I know some people, I, I, I don't know if Sean might agree, but it's a must-watch. It's a movie that, you know, all... Let's you know clap to nineteen ninety nine that class they did an amazing Absolutely. job that year like oh my god these movies came out this year I'm just like movie after movie and like how Brandon was saying that beginning scene I didn't really realize it until I watched it again it's like wow like I should have paid attention the first time like this said everything right here well yeah that's the difference because like when we saw this movie the first time we had no idea what was happening now we've seen it and it's actually it's even a great to watch this movie. A second, third, fourth time because you're picking up things that you did not see at the first viewing. Um, Fight Club, and I just have on my notes, it's a movie that's the end of the era. It's the end of the 90s. It's a different way how we look at society and how we push through to the 21st century. I mean, it's like pre-9-11. It's not even happening yet, you know? The first 30 minutes of the film is like watching the first couple of episodes of the new season of Game of Thrones, season 8, the one that just actually ended a few months ago and whatnot. Uh, it lays a foundation and sets up what's to come, which is really... The whole point of the film it gets you hooked like very slow but then when you're ready for it it comes out of left field see and and one of the things that bothered me not just the over narration but it was the bad sequencing it's it reminded me a lot of memento at the very beginning because we went from the opening scene to the doctor's visit to the ball cancer ward back to it was just all over the place and i it was really difficult for me to get in, invested in a character who clearly doesn't give a crap about himself. And it just, it really bothered me. So 
<clears throat> Excuse me. So that's something that I absolutely loved. I think on a technical level, this is one of the most brilliant movies in the last uh, 20 years. And one of the main reasons for that, actually, it's 20 years today. Um, one of the main reasons for that is because the actual filming, the techniques of the filming, mirror the, the internal craziness of the narrator and that main character of Edward Norton. Right. Uh, one thing, the camera is always constantly moving. He, as a character, is constantly moving because he is never, ever feeling comfortable in any one spot. The transitions are, are quick. The transitions are abrupt. Because if you look at it, the whole idea is this guy has become completely unhinged from society. He is incomplete. He is not uh, a, an easy, fun, so, soft, smooth transition. He is constantly being jarred from one point to the next. And I think that, that Fincher really captures that in that jarring uh, editing. I really think that's that's a intentional thing. That's what happens when you when you have insomnia. You know, it's a he's a depressed man. And I mean like for me, his character everyone I don't know, people are familiar with him, with his character. Like people see it like, you know, everyone has that little day of you just go through just go through the motions a little bit and you wake up and you just woo like what happened and you go to bed. It's like what just happened today? Like today was just went by so fast, and it's like where was I? Did I even was I even aware of the conversations that was just having? Um, See, yeah. and I felt cheated by all the the choppy editing because it required the narrator to explain what was going on rather than just learning from the character, and that bothered me quite a bit. But the fun thing is that the narrator doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, this whole time we're in the complete dark. Because the narrator's in the complete dark. And what I mean by that is he has no idea that he is Tyler Durden. That he is the one establishing all of this project mayhem. That just you just destroyed what you said at the beginning. I know it because Tyler knows it. That means he does know exactly what's going on. Because the narration is happening at the end. you got to look at it the sequentially, right? When the plot is actually happening. Yeah, he knows it because it's at the end of the film and everything like that. I and mean, when he starts at the beginning of the film, now he's actually kind of like so, looking at it so as that's a whole my, So that's my question in the film. Is the narration looking back and telling the story, knowing the end? Or is it active narration? No. I think it's active. Yeah, it is active. 100%. Then why is it continuous narration from the very beginning going back through the story? That I doesn't th make sense. No, I think you got to separate it. you gotta, you got to separate the narration and the sequence, or the visual sequence of what we're seeing. The narration when... overran the sequence. That's my problem. Is that you start there, and then you jump through seven minutes of scenes... It's not in sequential order. It's not in any order. And so, to me, what I got, and I could be wrong, and I'm not, I don't want to harp on this, but the actual narration was always looking back. So I felt cheated at the end of the movie when I learned that Dar Tyler that Durden. Durden and the narrator were the same person because the narrator knew he was Tyler Durden when he was telling the story. It's like, it's not the nar narration is happening as like an overall, it's just like you just caught the end of the film, and it actually tells you. Let's rewind this a little back and then everything like that. The and narration it, it, tells you. Yeah, that. it tells you that, and then it actually goes all the way to the front, and you're with the narrator as he is as starting from. So we yeah. set the story. Out. I would agree. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of saying it. Okay. I mean, to so me, I don't that's think that was clear. Sense. But okay, continue. Okay. Um, so I want to kind of go into it. I know I'm kind of going into more of the overarching. And don't, um, by theme. the way, don't get me wrong. I, I liked the mm -hmm. I liked the visual aspect of the cuts. I just found it disingenuous of the mm -hmm. character. So that I I did appreciate no, I hear you. a lot of it. Okay. So, okay. so I think there's two two driving themes that we see in this whole movie. One is what happens to somebody who feels uh, completely absent from life and completely numb to everything. And we see that when the fact that he goes to different programs just to feel something. His, his motivation to go into those different help programs, you know, the Cancer's Anonymous and 
um, you know, anything is to cry and to feel that feeling of, of anything. Um, the second thing, I would strongly argue, and Fincher's made it clear that his intention, whether it was clear in the movie or not, is that this is a bash at consumerism. Um, one of the, I think a quote that stands out to me there, <clears throat> excuse me, is when Tyler Durden says, things you own end up owning us, right? He's saying that to the people. And something else that's kind of a fun thing on online, um, and feel free to check it out, is that there's a Starbucks cup hidden in every single scene of Fight Club. <laughs> yeah. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Every single scene. And that's a really, really important thing in, in understanding what he's saying. He's saying that, listen, consumerism and capitalism and all of this um, this product placement, he's, he's making a joke at how we are so fed by that monster and we're feeding that monster actively. And it's not the support terrorism or anything like that which you know it's completely <clears throat> left field how it goes back you know you're like well Standard it's beat. actually going way too far and that's just we just kind of jump a little ahead of the film and everything like that but regarding to what brandon is saying it's an idea that gets spread and then it becomes a movement and that is everything what the narrator wishes and actually what tyler Dern becomes and starts that and that's what I didn't think the mess the movie did very well from a message standpoint is he created a different product. Okay, it might not be a Starbucks cup, but Tyler Durden or the narrator created the product of high octane hitting people, violence, and whatever he created was the same thing that people needed to consume and join than everything else. But maybe that's the point, is that yeah. we are literally, you, you just answered, what is he trying to get at? He's trying to get at the fact that we cannot escape it because it's almost biological. Ooh. Yeah, but it's not a bad thing. Anyway, continue. Well, I, well, I, I would argue that, but well, it's a different conversation. Well, you see in the beginning of the film, right? Or not the beginning of the film, I keep seeing the beginning of the film. But the narrator has, like, you can tell, like, the split personality is happening. He even says it, like, in the first 15 or 20 minutes, like, if you wake up in a different place, can you wake up as a different person? It's like the storm inside that's happening that we see in it. Like, you know, his insomnia, his insanity, his frustration with his life, you know, that has no meaning with everything, you know? This white-collar job that he has, this desperation that he has in his mouth. With Tyler, this manifestation of being this completely free person, the narrator wants to be that person, and it actually comes out like within 22 to 23 minutes when we first meet Tyler. And one of the things that I, one of the quotes that I did like is when people think you're dying, people start listening. That was one of my, <laughs> one of the things that I wrote. Like as soon as he felt important, people started listening to what he had to say. Yeah, now filmically, I, I love the setup to Tyler's character, right? We've got this, this flicker, uh, which is what he's doing with cutting and splicing in different images. We get the flicker of Tyler uh, in various different portions of the movie before Tyler actually shows up. Four times. Four times. Four First times time. before you actually see him. Exactly. And then what I love is the line, Jeremiah, that you said with, can you wake up as a different person? That's the first time that we actually see Tyler not flicker. We see him as an actual character, and that's on that escalator passing the narrator. And so, again, that's Fincher saying, in a lot of ways similar to like The Sixth Sense, that's Fincher saying, hey, look, guys, um, I'm telling you right now that this is a, 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 the same character. This is, you know, this is that manifestation. It took a while for me to actually see that. Because overall, I, I looked at it as like a roller coaster. Like, the way the movie started off yeah. was, like, it was, it was a, but like in the very beginning, it was almost really sad. Like I look at it as you know, you know, it's almost like you. I felt like am I, am I wasting my life going to the nine to five? Like it made me think a little bit, but then like I realized you know there's a whole this guy he's fighting a whole a bunch of other stuff. He ended up getting some help by going to these other support groups, and 
it made him feel free, you know, feeling like the stuff owns him. So I have a question. Was he better off before or after he burned his life out? After. So after he blew up the city, he was a better person. Well, I'm not talking about the city. After he found himself where he was at, I'm saying. See, and I mean, I would, I would honestly argue that he's a better person beforehand, but he's also a more angry, a more desperate person before. And it comes back to the quote he said, like, this is your life, and it's ending one moment at a time. And, and I, something just pops. And I, I get that, but as soon as he realizes that he's done these terrible things as Tyler Durden, as Brad Pitt... He tries to fix it. Yes. So he yeah. tries to get back to where he was. So I, I guess my argument is he, he spends half the movie tearing down his world and then the last 20 minutes of the movie trying to get back what he lost. The way I look at it is, <laughs> it's the way I look at it is everyone has a little bit of Tyler on them. He found his Tyler a little bit late. I think most of us find our Tyler when we're in college and we just have that party and we, we live that scene. And we kind of realize, okay, well, what am I doing with my life? This is, I need to get this guy out of my life a little bit. We do it. I mean, we find them in our early 20s. But those people that go straight to find that job and, you know, they suffer from that, what is it, uh, midlife crisis almost a little bit. Well, he said that. He's like, you know, get married? What? I'm a, I'm a 30-year-old boy. He's not there. Speaking of getting married, I think that uh, we need to talk about Marla a little bit because oh. that's where, that's the catalyst for all of, this change to happen, which is weird, and you don't realize it, I think, until later on in the movie, if not after you finish watching the movie, that Marla is the one that sparks him into becoming this other thing. And maybe it's because he desperately wants so much to be with her, and he realizes that who he is, this meek, quiet, sad individual that he is, could never get a girl like her. Um, and so what he does is he takes on this other persona of Tyler Durden, and, I mean, he succeeds in, in all accounts with her. And then some, yeah. Yeah, and then some, seriously. Again and again and again and again and again. <laughs> so I know uh, I did not think she looked good in this movie. I, th- I did not think Helena Bonham Carter looked good at all. I think I she agree. was way better Actually. in Big Fish. She's been way better as, I mean, she was better as Bellatrix Lestrange. The little top knot she had with a little curly cue. Oh, she looked cute. No, she looked like uh, one of those. Uh, kindergarten teacher. Absolutely. I agree she, 100% with you. She's a repeating I, I, actress. I, I, I'm sorry, dude. She is, sure. right? She's our favorite actress. Yeah, she is our favorite point. actress. At this point, yeah. She's like pretty much like the poster, <laughs> poster woman of my life. Like, that's exactly the type of style. <laughs> she married? Uh, she yeah, she was actually married to Tim Burton, Tim Burton. So there goes you know. Well, the, I mean, no, not anymore. Not anymore. She's free. I, think. I got a chance. I got a chance. Yeah, Helena Bonham Carter, if you're listening, 19. Jeremiah is a very very handsome, strapping handsome, individual. Strapping. Hey, you're crazy meets my crazy with a velvet voice. <laughs> so Sean, I want to I want to throw this over to you because I know that you do have some strong uh, opinions about this movie, and I would love to hear them. But um, besides the way that Marla slash Helena. Looks. What are your thoughts on her character? Oh, I think she's destructive. I think she. I yeah. think that uh, Tyler Durden picks, or I'm sorry, the narrator chooses to associate with everyone or everything that leads him down the path because it's the wrong choice. And I look at it as just wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice. And I blame his mental illness. I mean, he's clearly mentally ill. And instead of uh, championing it and celebrating it in film, we probably should you know get him help. But that's my biased opinion um i think that she represents just insanity incarnated in a woman and that he wants to just 
attack her and be with her and be about her, which is insane. And it's so funny that you say that because you remember when the scene where uh, his he's coming to in his apartment and it's all like destroyed because it blew up and everything like that. And it because shows he blew it up. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, in a way, well, he didn't know. No, he he didn't know. Tyler, Tyler did. Tyler did. We but, have to look at that as a separate individual for you know, somebody with, with multiple personality disorder. <laughs> no, it was Tyler. But okay. you remember that scene where it shows that, like, you know, how it kind of like ignited and it blew up. And then he actually goes on the phone because he wants to call her. And when the moment she actually picks up the phone, she goes, hello. And you show the scene of the building just or the room just blowing up, which is pretty much hindsight of like the connection between her and actually the narrator. I can hear you breathing. I think that's what she says on the phone. It's creepy. It is creepy. She blew up after this movie, right? I mean, she, I mean, she was in a lot. Not literally. She was. She's still alive. No, uh, thank you, Brandon. I just want to make that clear. But like, no, like she, she at this time in the movie, I think this was her biggest film. She, she died, luckily but... got into this movie because they actually were trying to get Reese Witherspoon to play the part, and also Sarah Michelle Gellar to play the part, which that would have been really cool, by the way, because I love Buffy, and then she would actually would have killed it, but. I think she actually owned this role. I think she... I agree. You know. I agree. Yeah. So one of the things I found interesting about the character of the narrator is his job. He's a recall coordinator for a car company. He basically figures out in an algorithm what needs to be changed. And I thought that was an interesting, an interesting twist because he kind of had that in his life where it was going down a certain point and he had to realize when it needed to be changed or when it needed to be corrected. So I kind of drew some parallels there. But at some point during his travel montage, all he was doing was listing things. I'm telling you, the narration ruined 99% of the movie for me. And because it he, made 99% of the movie Oh, God, me. he just was pompous and asshole. He, was, he thought he was too smart for his own good. He just Everything about him was just you know, un, unattractive, it, and I didn't root for him at all. It's, it's because he, the end has a start to everything, and that's where he was at, good. you know. Mm-hmm. I did like his single serving friend comment on the um, everything in the plane comes single serving. I thought that was kind of cool. So just talking about planes, um, and I know Jeremiah, you mentioned this was you know pre uh, pre nine eleven. Um, what are your thoughts? Would this movie be made? Could this movie be made post nine eleven? Absolutely not, dude. Agreed. Are you kidding me? Agreed. I mean, this movie was actually shot or actually released after that whole shootout that happened in Columbine, and it was a touchy subject back in that time. And it luckily got, you know, that whole opportunity to even be released. Because you know about that one scene he's with his boss and the boss is asking him, you know, like, you know, what's going on here? And he goes on this rant about like, you know, you better be careful because this person who actually you're talking to can actually just flip out and just goes down this detail of like how he can like shoot up the whole thing. You know, and to me, that's one of the scariest parts of the film, him actually going down. And you cannot make this movie today. Absolutely not. Uh, so one of the one of the questions that I have is, what, and this would change the whole movie for me and make it so much better for me. What if Mar Marlene Mar, Marla Marla Stanger Singer Singer Nice. Her name is. What if she was a third personality? And this is something that I kind of got lost in because I lost interest in the movie about halfway through. Um, if she was a third personality, so th- let me give you some evidence here, and I'm putting on my tinfoil hat, and I understand that. When his apartment exploded, he plucked her number right out of the rubble, literally. It was a perfect note, burned around the edges. Before that, he had met her, and he she mirrored everything he was doing, going to every single, every one of the same 
uh, uh, things that he was going to. What do you call it? The support groups. Well, I'm going to take off your foil hat, and I think that that's actually one of the things that we're supposed to think. Okay. I think that's that's normal reading for this yeah. this movie and book. Because that would change my opinion of the movie slightly. I think we're supposed to think that that she is not realistically there. Because think about it, she she goes on a bus, who the the destination is completely unknown, and all of a sudden, what five minutes later, she's being hauled in by the guys. And when she's sitting down at the restaurant and ordering, the people look at him. And he looks like he's talking to himself at the table. Even when she's actually talking, he's talking to her outside, and she's in the middle of the road, not being hit by any car or right. anything like that. You know, that was and, I, that, I like that scene. You know, and to the me, only person she interacts with is him, literally. Yeah, the only. Is it and really? Tyler Durden said, "Don't tell her about me," which makes me think that they're trying to kind of. He's trying to separate all three characters in his head: the good and the bad. Why is she good? I think she's not. Well, no, I don't see that she's not good. good. It's it's, it's the, the desire. Yeah. In, in, you know the positive, the desire he actually wants. And versus, she, yeah, and she tried to commit suicide, and she he was she was miraculously saved. It just it all kind of fits together. And miraculously weird... saved by him. So what that's doing is it's allowing him to play hero, which is exactly another manifestation that he wants. To, to be, I mean, I, I don't think, I think it's, we're supposed to, it's not just like a, a tinfoil theory. I think we're actually supposed, that's, that's the reading we're supposed to take with this movie. So what I said, Tyler represents the primal in the narrator. What is man? What is, what is egotistical? What is strength? And then you had, uh, Mar- Mar- Marla Singer, Marla. not Marla Hooch, <laughs> Marla, Marla. Hooch. And Marla, who represented kind of um, a crazy, I, I said kind of like insanity itself, like just not 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 anything that was visceral or angry, but just the actual insane part of his brain. And I like the fact that during that whole bomb scene, apartment blowing up and everything like that, you know, we get the first introduction of him actually talking to Tyler Durtney. And, you know, him actually kind of like, you know, connecting with someone, letting go, you know. And then when he hangs up the phone with Marla, calls the number of Tyler, which, you know, he picks up and he has that horrible chewing, which I effing hate when someone does that. That's Brad Pitt. He eats yeah. in every movie. That's so gross. <laughs> but then then we get the final introduction between Tyler and the narrator. And it actually goes to the moment where he actually asks him, hit me as hard as you can. Which is a fun fact that uh, Edward Norton really did punch Brad Pitt in the ear. And that's all... <laughs> Unscripted, realistic. And he looked like an absolute bitch doing it. I don't know if anyone else. One hundred percent. And so he literally the bottom of his <laughs> wrist. He gets hit in the ear, and and none of that was scripted. He was just supposed to hit, um, Brad Pitt's character. Well, Brad I mean, because like Fincher told him, like, hey, uh, actually, really hit him in the ear. <laughs> you know, and he, you can tell like he didn't know if he was going to hit him or not hit him, and he hits him, and his reaction is so funny, and it's just like one of those moments you're just like, <laughs> God, you know. And then Tyler just reacts and just hits him hard, and. There you have it, this 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 release this release this feeling alive. You know, there was a moment here that kind of ruined it for me too. Is after we come back from the bar. I know I'm critical. Uh, we go from over narration and pompous narrator to breaking the fourth wall, and both characters break the fourth wall. And it's like, uh, okay, so if I'm supposed to think that this person is insane, why is he now engaging? So he went from 
knowing the future or knowing what happened at the end of the story, then morphing into telling it mid-story, now he's talking directly with the audience. Is it real time? Is it not real time? It's very it's very scattered, and I don't think it works. And I, I understand people think it works. I don't think it does. I am Brandon's rolling eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. What? Can somebody explain that to me? Because uh, where is it? I have it in my notes, and it was they kept uh, <clears throat> mentioning this. Um, Jack's smirking revenge, ja- uh, Jack's this, Jack's that. What is that? What is, what is that? He said it like nine times. Okay, so it's like this magazine that he's been reading and everything like that that has like this, uh, what is it? It's a how-to, broken down, like like physiology for dummies almost. Yeah, yeah like, you know, as a third person. And, and a lot of people thought, and a lot of people thought that actually the narrator's name was Jack in a weird way. Okay. You know, I, I, I thought that. so for a you know, long time. That may almost pushed it to... Make it seem like his name was Jack, and they never called him Jack, but it just made it seem like I was for the longest time. I always thought it was Jack until this. I watched and, it. And literally, if we look at this, this is just again another example of a manifestation of a character, right? All of a sudden, you're taking these body parts and you're giving them personality, which is exactly what he's doing by giving you know this other conscious being in his mind uh, a personality. Right, he's he's creating something as a character, and I think that that's just another example of how this character operates. So before we get into the best part of the movie, which is Tyler's house, which I am in love with, uh, I think we need to stop for a cocktail because everyone's empty. But before they actually get into their first Fight Club scene, no, the best part is Tyler's house. I like, I like the Fight Club scene, <laughs> well, and you know what? Scene. The first fight was actually at the bar, though. I mean, at the liquor store. Right. Yeah, I mean, I like I mean that. I think let's let's just leave it on one word: meatloaf. <laughs> Yeah, we do tell me about him too. All right, we'll be back. In, we'll be back in a minute. We're God, can we get some more ah. drink? Because this is so meatloaf. good. Meatloaf, meatloaf. You know, everything on Earth is beautiful. You are not a delicate snowflake. snowflake. You know what, Sean? If you took a, uh, a scotch and you poured it down the drain, that would be destroying something. That would be destroying something gorgeous. All right, gentlemen, we are back, and we're gonna get in really hardcore physical. This drink is amazing, though. This drink is probably one of the best drinks I've ever had, actually. I'm not going to lie. And I'm very feeling pretty saucy right now. Brandon. You're looking saucy. Really? Thank Brandon, you. Brandon, do you know what the id and the superego are? I do, actually. Can you explain that to us? Absolutely. So they're the three tenets of Freudian psychology. So what we have is the id, which is the primal instincts. Then we have the superego, which is essentially all of morality stopping us from, from doing anything that's pleasurable. Then you have the ego, which is where we, most of us, live, where we are allowing ourselves to, uh, to go into um, our primal desires and what we want. But at the same time, we also know that there's a point where we can't go past that. Uh, what this movie is doing is really playing with, and this is why this book is, is assigned to different psychology courses, it is, um, it's playing on the idea of what happens when the id completely rules out, which is what happens when you don't have any kind of constraints from morality or society to stop us from you know the pleasure pleasure principle of just going for whatever it is we truly want thank you for that dissertation you're very welcome holy shit man yeah I'm a teacher by I, day. I knew he had it in him. That's why it I does? asked. Man. <laughs> and I have the Wikipedia right here, and it's it's pretty close. Wow. So um, Brandon? 
Bravo. The drinks are on me. Bravo. For the rest of the season, clink, sir. Clink, 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 uh, clink. Uh, for the rest of the season. Clink, clink. Well, yeah, dude, that was that was impressive. That was fucking impressive. Right. Oh no, that was freaking. Um, no, fuck it. it was yeah, so as we impressive. move as we move into the Fight Club and Meat we loaf. move into the Meatloaf, Meatloaf, move into the character. Uh, looking at the characters, one of the things that I I kind of struggled with is clearly in the movie the id is taking over. The id is Tyler Durden. The id is and possibly Marla. And what I like is that, it, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, but I like that the id is infecting other people. And you have someone with mental illness who's literally crazy, and they have people who are willing to follow that crazy person into the most terrible places on, on earth. Because they They're, feel trapped. What do they feel trapped from? They feel trapped. They, they, wanna, they, they see that these other people are experiencing life in a different way. They see that there's, they have a spark, and... They just hear these stories like, hey, man, come with me. <laughs> and we're not supposed to talk about, like, we haven't even talked about the Fight Club, even though the rules about Fight Club. Are we not talking about Fight Club? We're going to talk about Fight Club. Club. Okay. And this is one of the quotes from Fight Club. You know, it's like, it's only that we lost everything, that we're free to do anything. And that's what they're actually feeding off of this person right here. They and that's the that. scariest thing right there. Yeah, now, I'm, I mean, since we're, we're throwing it out in the open, um, Hamlet is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books. And... One of the driving questions and themes of that book and that play is the uh, infectiousness of insanity. That if you are around people who are genuinely insane, does that make you more insane? And since I'm on the topic, I want to just throw this out there. Brad Pitt plays crazy, I think, like nobody else. And we see that in 12 Monkeys. We see that in here. Um, In a lot of ways, I look at them as really the same character. Uh, maybe Twelve Monkeys is a little bit further gone than uh, than what we've got with Tyler Durden, but um, I'm a huge Brad Pitt fan. I think he's gorgeous, and also he literally had he his is gorgeous. He is gorgeous. He, so yeah, he literally had his tooth chipped for this role. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's craziness right now. Mm-hmm. That's the craziest thing. But I do think, Sean, what you were saying is that yeah, it's about crazy spreading, and I think it's kind of taking in the same ideas that Shakespeare is looking at with Hamlet, which is if we are surrounding ourselves with some mentality that may be broken. Is that a reflection of ourselves perpetuating that brokenness, or are we then the ones who are having that shown on us? Prepare for a rant. Three, two, one. So, so I look at it as the devolution of man. It's man going back to his base instincts of fighting each other with their fists instead of their words. I see that everyone involved in the fight club are so-called... Like the working class, which they're actually not the working class. They're the kind of the minimum wage class or the entry level class because the working class are the people who are putting in their nine to fives, who are growing in their company. Mm-hmm. They're not stagnant. These people have made bad choices. They're they're doing bad things. They're they're not growing in the way that they should. And so it's very appealing to go to a fight club because that's quote unquote their only outlet. What they don't realize is if they turn and actually work harder and grow up the ladder they would be more successful. But instead, they take the easy way out and just go to tyranny, go to to the aggression. They go to their base instinct as humans instead of rising above it. And that's why I don't like the movie. Oh, you're looking at that as the mm. movie. Okay. I see. We're looking at actually the whole situation of the movie, and actually this is what we get is like our life is a spiritual war. You know, it's, you know they're telling us it's not about you know advertising nuts, uh, chasing cars or clothes, working jobs that we hate so we can buy shit that we don't need. You know, it's all this shit that's been fed to everyone, you know, regarding to these characters and even to everyone in life and whatnot until the narrator actually kind of finds his way of like, wait a second, this is not 
the right thing to do here. But nobody's forcing them to be in the situation they are. They're choosing to be. They're choosing to devolve into the base humans that they are in using their fists instead of their brains. They're choosing to fail. They are. All of them are. It's not choosing them to fail. It's them saying that it's not choosing. It, they're just feeling like, you know, the acceptance of like, hey, they're, they are the middle child of society and everything like that. Which gets me to my favorite, favorite quote from this whole movie. And it's, here it is. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. And we're slowly learning that fact. And we're very, very pissed off. If we look at this, and I think Eddie said it really, really well early on, is that this is about... You're welcome. Uh... What happens when you have people going through a midlife crisis? Now, what happens if you have people going through a midlife crisis and they have an outlet? And that outlet is, in this situation, violent. If you get enough people perpetuating this idea, then you find yourself lost within it. And what we see from the narrator early on to the different members of the Fight Club is people who just want to feel yes they just want to exist and feel and what do they have they have camaraderie they get the, the shit beat out of them and then they help each other up and then they cheer on the next guy they're all in it together they realize that there is no one better except tyler durden which has a problem and i can see where you go with that but they have one leader and everybody else is working for the system but they Man. fall right back into the same hierarchy. They fall right back into the level system. Uh, who's outrunning dangers? Well, it's the fat bitch-titted meatloaf who gets killed. Who's is Tyler outrunning dangers? Is Tyler out? Uh, is he is he the one performing the homework assignments, or are they getting assignments just as though they would at work? It's the same hierarchical system that they were in, and if they just replaced their boss with Tyler Durden, it's literally the same it's, system. It's not. Well, it's the idea. Like I said earlier, this in, on this episode, it's the idea that becomes a movement, a movement that they're actually behind. You know, they believe in terrorism. This. No, it's like not terrorism. Well, think, that's what they're doing. I, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, but this is exactly how. But they don't. But they don't. But they don't. They don't. Maybe see that's it that the way. point. But this okay. is exactly how Al Qaeda forms. They have a. Uh, I'm sorry, Eddie. They have an ideological principle that they all buy into, and they use that ideological principle against those that have quote unquote wronged them. They haven't been wronged by their boss at the diner who gave them an opportunity to work. They haven't been wronged by the banks that they took credit out for to buy the IKEA furniture. They haven't been wronged wronged by these people but they're they've said they're wronged and they f- rise up against it that's 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 terrorism that's literally terrorism no, I, and i think that you're absolutely right there except and i think this is what jeremiah is saying is they are not looking at it as terrorism which is in fact no no no, the no, terrorist no, no. never looks at no, no. it like he's the terrorist jesus christ <laughs> shut up and listen because you're absolutely right that's the point that's the point sean is that they do not recognize it guess what terrorists don't recognize it is this perpetuating terrorism? No, I don't think so. Is this is this showing us a glimpse into what causes terrorism? Absolutely, dude. There's a lot of people in this class. You know, like we were talking about the middle class. It's not the middle class. Like you're, no, I, I know. I'm saying, like you, you said, it's not the middle class. It's be- just right below the middle class. People trying to get to middle class. People who've probably made some bad decisions, but it's not all of them. But I'm saying, Tyler, Tyler. He focused primarily on this. I think it's more like how you know how they say you give him out like a mice, uh, you a give him out a cookie, you give him one glass of milk. Yes, 
it started off, I think, very, uh, it's, I think it started off delicate, like very, not as bad as it, it, obviously in the very end, blowing up some buildings and stuff like that, it, it went a little too far. I agree with that. And it became way out of hand. I don't like that. But I don't think it start, It was supposed to start off that way. I think his split personality ran with it. You know, like, I think exactly. it started off with like, it's supposed to be just like, okay, let's just have an outlet and let's all, like, even us, like, we're having this outlet. Of, but then over there, it became a fight club and it became more than that because his split personality took over himself. And it became and global. It became global and became other people, just so many people craved what he was giving and it became almost, he felt like he needed to produce more, more but, in the fight club. I guess my, my problem is that the whole criticism that I have <clears throat> is that this movie talks about consumerism, about buying into a system that doesn't really give you anything. Well, guess what? They just replaced one system for another system. And this system doesn't give them shit either. It gives them prison and death. It just, it, I don't understand. It's, no, they're no, replacing yeah, no. one system for the next. When you see it from the outside, you're absolutely right. But from inside, they're just like, you know what? I feel something. I'm a part of something. Trust me. We see it this way, and we're like, dude, this is wrong. This is completely wrong where you're going This is terrorism. You should try thinking instead of feeling. But no, but sometimes (laughs) it takes a lot to feel something, man. Sometimes it feels, I mean, and this is what a lot of people out there in society has that that desperation to feel something wants in their life. That's what these people are going through, and they got it, and they want to be a part of it, and they're going to go for it. And that's exactly why we need to look at, again, filmic technique, literary technique, the way that we're hearing the story, being presented in the story, is from the internal narration, from the internal narrator speaking out. If we look at this from the internal group, then yeah, they look like they're, they look at life as being part of something. They're part of Project Mayhem. They're part of a movement. Are they part of a movement? Absolutely. Are they part of a good movement? They think so. No, they're not. They are terrorists from the outside. So what you're from saying? All sides. No. <laughs> okay, but here's the problem. Here's well, the no no no, no 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 okay. no 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 no. Right. Listen, every terrorist is a freedom fighter to themselves, and don't roll your eyes. That's I bullshit. No, that's eyes. fucking bullshit. Okay, man. so if you know society tells you don't right, give yourself. If you're Al Qaeda, guess what? You think you're a freedom fighter. If you think that you are, uh, a, no one knows they're a terrorist. Nobody knows they're a terrorist. Do you think you're a freedom fighter? Hey, you think you're like fighting Empire for a purpose? The thinks the rebels thinks are fucking Absolutely. terrorists. Absolutely. Like like what idea. ideological principle are the uh, are, are the Durdenites following? What is driving? I can give you an answer, but Jeremiah is going to give you. This is the preach. What is is that you're not your job. You're not much how much money you have in the bank. Damn you're it. not your car to drive. <laughs> you're not the contents of your wallet. Without pain and sacrifice, we would have nothing. You are that sacrifice. That's what they're looking at. That's how they feel. They're a tool. And exactly. they are okay being a tool if the end result they feel is worth it. Their end result is seen in what they actually accomplish at the end. I mean, this is a movie where the bad guys win at the end. Is to blow up the credit card companies and erase debt, take everything, make the balance zero, create total colic or total chaos. That's literally their purpose. Is it a real, real good idea? No. Guess what? Everything is digitized. It's all online. <laughs> so blowing up the buildings is nothing more than a statement. So I agree. okay. So and, and playing off that what you just said, let's say that that is the truth and everything's digitized and blowing up the building doesn't change anything. Um, and this is a question I have uh, for kind of the group. Because I, I, I listen to this other podcast, and they talk about, um, you know, we just had the burning of Notre Dame a couple of months ago, and mm-hmm. um, they went in there, a p- priest went in there and got the uh, 
uh, crown of thorns. And the question was, is that the actual crown that was on Jesus's head at the crucifixion? And does it matter whether or not it is or not? And so it kind of is the same question. And I'm, I'm not bringing religion in this. I'm just simply moving Thank on you. to this question, which is, does it matter if the overall outcome that they are searching for is false? Absolutely not. So all they care about is the journey. All they care about is the perceived ending. If they perceive the ending as worthwhile, then it is worthwhile. For Islamic terrorists, they have the idea of paradise and the 70 virgins. Okay? 72 virgins. Well, I'm not <laughs> Islamic. Um, for the Durdenites, they have this belief in a cohesive group in which they are no longer better than or worse than anybody. Thank you. They are simply starting at ground zero with everybody else. Again, is it logic or logical? Absolutely not. Is it a it's movie? Cool. Oh, yeah, 100%. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you are looking at this and saying that we are preaching that Tyler Durden is a hero. He's not a no, hero. Hell no. No, he is Okay, so to anti -hero. the casual, I'm telling you right now, my problem is to the casual observer of this movie, the he, the villains win, that fuck the system, sorry for the jar, Fincher is, oh, this is a, against capitalism, against consumerism, it's horrible, it's terrible. That's the message that you get from the movie. That's what you walk away with from the movie. The last song by the Pixies, when he's standing there and the whole building great is exploding. It's a, a great, great song. A great scene, a great song, I'll give you that. But it's you met the, at an interesting time of my life, or a very interesting time of my life. Not, oh, by the way, we just committed terrorist acts and blew up the whole fucking system. That's not what he said. He said it was interesting. Like, it, you promote, with this movie, with these type of films, you're, you're promoting anarchy, you're promoting this. And that's what I don't like. Just like in Point Break, we promoted uh, robbing banks and getting high on Bodhiism. Like, that, it's, it's just, I don't like that in a movie. It, it, it's not a good message for me. It's not, yeah, I understand about the whole message and everything, Sean. Don't get me wrong. But it's not about, like, what we're trying to perceive as a message. It's about, like, you know, what that character is about. It's, it's trying to understand yeah. people's like actions. So I yeah. compare I compare it to the movie that you showed me, The Kingdom, perhaps yeah, years ago. Yeah, years ago, I appreciated that more, way more significantly than this because it showed both sides and it showed why people do what they do. To me, the people who in this movie who did what they did and followed Durden were simply out of lust. It was simply out of a feeling that they wanted to be something different than they are, and that's just bullshit to me. It's like it's funny how Tyler's. Jeremiah said it way back where he said you're not your job you're not how much money you have in your bank and you're not the car you drive you're not the contents of your wallet you know you're you're all the singing all the dancing crap of the world and then later down the road he says listen up maggots you're not special you're not beautiful you're not you need snowflake you're not you you're the same decaying organic matter of everything else I don't know I feel like that's like I was saying like it turned like obviously the narrator he had a split personality and he got them and he, he corrupted them. But I feel like it started it started different with the Fight Club. It started just a basic, you know, a bunch and of people. And it escalated quickly. Bunch, yeah, it escalated It became a quickly. movement. It became a movement, and that's when they, they were way out of line with doing stuff that probably they should not have done and became felons. And If you replaced, okay, so if you replaced this, this whole story with instead of fighting the system, it was uh, fighting the Jewish population and we made it uh, kind of a more racial relation uh, issue or religious issue versus uh, capitalist versus anti-capitalist. Would that have changed your opinion on the movie? 
I think that we have to look at this in a lot of ways and then say uh, no, because the whole point is to show us that this is not okay. Do you think this movie would have been as popular if Brad Pitt was a white supremacist versus an anti-capitalist? So instead of this movie, we have uh, American History asking. X, because that's what American History X is. I, yeah, I mean, I in a lot of that, ways. But okay. No, in a lot of ways it is. It's, it's a story about a white supremacist. It's also sort of about redemption about. and re- realizing the error of your ways. I don't think that... Because the narrator doesn't realize that... No, I don't, I don't think he realizes I, the error. I, but I, do I, I think argue he does. I think I he does. Yeah. He tries to stop everything. He tries to actually prevent everything that's happening. He realizes he's done. He, he, he catches himself. Exactly. You know, he tries to stop everything, and he actually was able to succeed. He was actually to overturn the other split personality of his ways, the battle inside him, and he won that. Oh, I, think, I think we need to talk about some of the, the fight scenes. Are you talking about? Or right. Which part are you talking about? Well, I was talking about, let's talk about the, uh, I want to, you know, destroy something beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's I think that's a scene where he he wanted to take control right there, not Tyler Durden, him. Like it was sad, but he wanted to destroy something beautiful. That's where maybe like somebody should have looked at him and said, Hey man, do you need more help here? Like, no, what did he say? Club. What do you say to him? Like, you know, the narrator says, I am Jack's jealous jealous what? I am uh, I'm Jack's jealous um what did he say at the time? What did he say at the time? Uh, yeah, so you've got you've got Jared Leto who basically he wants to destroy something beautiful. He's trying to he he picks which I, I think is interesting that he picks out Jared Leto as the one he wants to destroy. Blondie. I understand that he's an attractive guy. I don't understand why Oh, it's because it's him. Tyler Durden is the one who, who we see shows affection to Jared Leto's uh, character. He puts his arm around him. He in a lot of ways is becoming the under your wing guy that Edward Norton was feeling that he was. And so, yeah, this is jealousy. He's, he is Jack's jealousy. He is Jack's jealous temper in this point. Or he was just pretty upset that, you know, years later he's going to join, you know, 36 of Mars, you know, and start making music and shit like that, you know. Be a bad joker. He, yeah. yeah. Um, so the other thing I, I wanted to know about Jared Leto, so, I mean, he got effed up in the fight for sure, but is he the only one who didn't have to shave his head like in this cult or what's going on? Because they were like shaving their heads. Everyone kind of looked the same. Meatloaf had his, you know, I think had everyone shirts. had their own thing because there's people that have mohawks and everything like that. It's like, you know, whatever like prefers to who you are and, you know, that you're, you resemble and part of the whole like, you know. It was to stand out. It was to make him stand out a little bit. Yeah. They want him to stand out. I'm Jack's inflamed sense of rejection. Ah, that's what we have there, and so, so you're right. So rejected. he was, he was, he felt jealousy of of the pretty boy. Yeah, I think that's definitely what we're supposed to get from it is that he is jealous of him, and so he's taking that aggression out. I mean, he he comes close to killing him, one hundred percent. I have in my notes, poor Jared Leto. <laughs> I do like Jared Leto. He's okay. He's doing pretty well these days. Don't so worry. What was the movie where he was uh, the brother of John Cusack, uh, Lord of War, or something like that? Lord of War Lord, was Lord of War. Yeah, was yeah. so he was so good in that. That's a good fucking movie. He was actually also in another David Fincher movie, um, uh, Panic Room. He was one of the people. He was yeah. yeah, he was. Yes, definitely. he had dreadlocks. He, was, he right. did have dreadlocks. <laughs> His face got burned. Yeah. His face always gets messed up. So I want to talk a little bit about the car driving scene where uh, Brad Pitt is driving the car, Edward Norton's in the passenger seat, and you got the two people in the back. Was that the breaking point? Was that the moment where Edward Norton actually like had a fracture from Brad Pitt? That's when I think he decides that he no longer wants to follow Tyler Durden. So in that case, yeah, that is his breaking point. Yeah. I think, and I think and more than anything, it's the fact that he puts in danger the guys behind him, too. 
the two guys, which we don't even have any indication whether they make it or not. No, they do. Do they? Okay. Yeah, they're so, part of the group. And one of the things, I don't know if anyone caught this, but uh, when he was on the plane at the very beginning, when the narrator's on the plane and first meets Tyler Durden, Tyler makes this comment about his laugh, about how it's, uh, he says something about his laugh. And if you notice, as the film goes on, Brad Pitt adopts this weird laugh that kind of matches what happened on the plate. It's like a disingenuous chuckle. Well, when he, when he actually faces Lou, you know, and I mean, that, that desperation laugh is just like, ha, 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 you know, you're just <laughs> yeah. like, oh, Lou, you know, you're just like, oh, man, this guy is just like, you know. Insane. Exactly. You know, you and it's the scary part, you know, he's getting the shippy out of him, and that is a scary scene. That's a scary fucking scene, man. You know, when we're little, we're just like, oh, that's so cool, you know, he just took the beat the shit, you know, and he won. Right. We're older now, and we're like, yo, that is some scary shit right there. Uh, so, uh, one, one thing, poor Meatloaf. I mean, uh, he dies. And this is where I kind of really turned off. I got turned off with the, with the violence and the graphic and the gore when he takes off Meatloaf's little hat and the back of his head falls off. It really is, I don't understand why it has to be this gratuitous. My answer to that would simply be that he needs to be shocked. Not we need to be shocked, but he as a character needs to be shocked at what he, in a lot of ways, Tyler Durden version of him, is creating. He needs to have that breaking point of, holy shit, this is what we are part of. This is what Project Mayhem is part of. I don't want to be part of it. I don't want to have anything to do with it, which explains why he tries so desperately exactly. to, to stop it at the end. So I'm going to throw this out there. Edward Norton, the narrator, beats up Pretty Boy in jealousy of Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden. Then Tyler Durden sends Meatloaf, what's his name? Bob. Bob on a danger that gets him killed. Is that retribution for beating up Pretty Boy? I don't think so, even though I think that's a really, really interesting reading. Yeah, actually. Um, but I don't think so just because it's it's not this thing that you, you figure will happen because they are trying to, they're supposed to do it covertly. That being said, yeah, I think we can maybe make the argument that Tyler Durden knew that Bob was going to be more in danger than anybody else because he is bigger, he is slower, he is um, non-testicled, which should actually give him more running speed. Yes, he should have been faster. He should have been a little bit more but aerodynamic. The him down. <laughs> so one of the things that, I mean, I know I've, I've harped on the narration and I just can't stand it, but one of the narrations, uh, the narrator says, just like lost cabin pressure. Like when he's starting to unravel his life, when he's realizing that he and Tyler Durden are the same person. And I was like, what's a little fucked? Like, it's horrible. That's a horrible line. It's a horribly written, like, just lost cabin pressure. I just lost, I just lost myself in myself. It's like, shut up. Be more, be more subtle. That's one of the, just be more subtle. I, I think he was just actually speaking for us as we were watching, as the viewing, the whole process of it. You were just like, because when we seen it. The first time. The first time we were just like. Are you fucking Holy kidding me? Shit. You know, we are you serious? This person think, is the same person? You, no, you gotta understand. Like when I first saw this, I never knew this. It was a reveal. It was a huge reveal. Mm -hmm. um, Wait, when Tyler Durden, Tyler Durden and is, the narrator are the same person, the realization that they are indeed who they you know they're, they're, he's who he's searching for is him. Oh, did you guys look at? Uh, was it Marla Singer? She said, "You're Doctor Jekyll and Mister Jackass." Yeah, I like that line. That was. So, I mean, that was a. Yeah. Uh, there. Sure. So I have in my notes a couple of things about this last little, uh, well, thing bef between Marla and um, and the narrator when he realizes he's Tyler Durden and he wants to get rid of Marla. Uh, 
once again, he tries to save the girl and not anyone else. This was before I saw the, the rest of the movie, so I, I will say that. But the first thing he does is he tries to save Marla because Marla's in danger. Still selfish, still tries, you know, still tries to save the girl versus going directly to the police. But then he goes to the police, and at least, you know, he proves that he's at least a reasonable, de- reasonably decent guy. Keanu Reeves could have taken a lot of credit from him or a lot of uh, guidance from him in Point Break. So instead of going after the girl with Pappas wow. and getting Pappas killed in Point Break, this is how you do it. You go directly to the police. You try to figure it out. It just so happened that the police were in on Point his Break came out. I don't know how you were uh, able to use two, Point Break came out before two birds movie. with one stone on this show right here. <laughs> you evil man. Are you I'm open, yeah. We'll see how, how far we, yeah, we can get this. <laughs> so the cop twist of taking his balls, I thought, I that was actually the first time I, I laughed during the movie. I don't know if I, like when they were like, we got to take his balls. He's trying to stop yeah, not, not Project Mayhem. Yeah. People are trying to no, no. I, I thought it was just funny. It's like, the, I guess uh, the viewer, maybe? No, I actually thought it was like, you know, um, Ralvi and everything like that. You're like, wow, this is seriously getting scary because everyone is involved with this. This idea has spread out to anyone there's nobody he can go and actually get help this is he's on his own now like society itself is shut down it's it's, everyone's involved it's the scariest thing so the other thing um i want to remark on is how good of an actor edward norton is and you said at the beginning you know take him or leave him I'm a huge Edward Norton fan. Edward Norton was great in Prime Suspect. Prime Suspect was that Primal Fear. Primal Fear. Fear. Oh, dude. Primal Fear. He was. He's been. His whole career has been great. And if you really want to get a great speech by Edward Norton, you gotta look at the roast that he did of um, Bruce Willis, where he he lays out his whole career basically in that speech. And I'm telling you right now, this guy is an actor. He is capital A actor. Well, let me just go in and throw this out here. Divert from, uh, from this movie, 25th hour. If you've ever seen that movie, Spike Lee, um, one of the, it's freaking oh, phenomenal. Unbelievable that's a great movie. movie that's man. a great freaking movie. Uh, I've always loved that movie. And that was honestly, that's one of the very few movies where I love capital L love Edward Norton and rant's gone. Go for it. Oh, also the <laughs> score I thought he was really great in with Robert De Niro, even though I can't stand Robert De Niro. Um, that movie I thought he was excellent in. Was he he was the Italian job? No. He was he not was in, in Prestige. Um, in Illusionist. The Illusionist. Illusionist, yes. which was another great They're movie. They're both really good. Oh, so good. Hint, hint. So good. Yeah, so, uh, sorry, we digress from the brilliance that is Edward Norton to the I final the, showdown. I give you the Italian job, but you didn't give a shit. Well, I love the one. Italian but job, but it's not Marky a good movie. Mark is much better in that than... Than Edward Norton. I mean, I'm playing. Hair. He made me go and watch that movie. I did not make him made you watch that uh, movie. I did lucky. not make you, you watch that movie. Although we did get it out of my private collection. <laughs> so anyway, going to the final show, showdown where he shoots himself in the face like an idiot. Um, Brandon. Yeah, so I... this Okay, so I've got two major glaring problems with this movie. One I've already mentioned, which is destroying the buildings does not bring credit to zero. Maybe that's one of the points is that this is a, uh, a feeble attempt at, at, at chaos. Um, the other is my question. So we have at the end or the beginning and then the end, whatever you want to look at it, is that the narrator shoots himself in the, the mouth, in the head, in, in the face, whatever you want to call it, um, in order cheek. to, yeah, in the cheek, in order to rid himself of Tyler Durden. I think he got that brilliant uh, realization of the gun is no longer in Tyler's hand, but it's actually in my hand. And so t- he, Tyler gets bested. My question, problem, issue is that if the narrator is able to survive this gunshot wound, then wouldn't that mean that Tyler is still is there. able to yeah He's still survive? There. 
that gunshot wound. And maybe that's the point, is that he'll never actually exactly. be rid of, of it. That's it. That's it. Because I believe in the book he actually survives. I believe I've not read it. I have not. That's one of the very few... Uh, well, I, I, God, I read the book a long time. I believe he actually survives, like, you know, that he actually wakes up in the hospital. Well, I know there's a sequel that just came out uh, about two years ago Yeah. to it, and I've, I have been meaning to pick that up, but I want to read. Eddie, what do you think? Um, there's many things. I do know how I'm looking at it as a whole still, and looking at how I think uh, the narrator, uh, Tyler still, he says how uh, how we all just... No one listens to us until we die, you know. You guys until we're dying. Until we're dying, and it's kind of gets you thinking, like, dude, like no one's paying attention. Everyone's just waiting for their turn to talk, but no one's really listening to you. And uh, some like there's many thousands of quotes in this movie that are just like, wow, like yeah, this that's a good little quote. As much as like I like Tyler and the beginning of like all these little things, but then like at the very end, it's like okay, you took it too far, dude. Like. You're becoming a little terrorist here. And <laughs> a it's, little terrorist. Yeah. Like, you just took everyone and it became a cult, and it's not cool. Like, but, but that's yeah. when the narrator tries to stop and prevents that he, it. Yeah, that, that's what I saw. He, he caught himself. So I'm really on the, on, right on the, on the line with this movie, how I feel. So I, I really try to like this movie, and I know I've shit on a little bit, a lot of bit. But um, one of the things, I did a little research, and I think part of why people like it is because it's cool. It's cool to like this movie. It's cool to have this poster in your college dorm room. It's like just like 300, which is another terrible movie. It's cool to like those type of movies. I looked at some other movies and I actually watched some other movies in reference to this. I looked at Beautiful Mind. Basically a very similar premise of split personality done a thousand times better. John Cusack did a movie a couple of years ago, probably 10 years ago now, called Identity, Identity. that was incredible. A fight with split personalities. Okay, I understand that it wasn't it wasn't the quality that you're looking for, but I thought the fight between personalities and the victory at the end and the and the surprise was more compelling than anything I saw here. It, those are characters I rooted for, I wanted to develop. I just didn't like I just didn't like But my the question narrator. is does a story need to always have a, a happy ending? No, it doesn't. No. It needs to have an ending we learn from one way or the other. We literally didn't learn anything from this. I, there was I, disagree. After two and a half hours, I, I got nothing from it except for a guy with mental illness just told the world that the way to get rid of mental illness is to shoot himself in the face. I do like no, I do like how Tyler Durden, I think more in the beginning, he walks around the the basement and saying how he talks about we're all wasting our potential. Uh, we're waiting for one thing to magically happen. And what he forces I'm everyone saying, no, to do is overall, to join a cult. No, but I'm just saying some of that stuff is true. Some is like we are we. Some of us are just sitting around and we could be doing more with our lives. Like some of it is true. We're we're wasting. A lot of us are wasting our potential. We're just doing the the safe route. Okay, we we could push ourselves a little bit further. That's what I'm just saying. So that brings us up to the end of a review. Now it's time in the podcast where each of the hosts provides its own score for the following scale. My brother from the same mother, provide that scale for me, please. You look pretty drunk, too. Really? Um, yes. Zero, the perfect movie. You don't need shit to enjoy it. Uh, one, a feel-good first cocktail. Two, a happy buzz. Three, you're Ubering or lifting home. Four, a uh, rough morning walk of shame. Uh, five, blackout, shit face, spring break drunk. Woo! Uh, mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, let's start with... All right. Brandon. Cool. Brandon. Um, okay, so this movie is a movie that I have seen now. This is my fifth time watching it, and I can remember, because each time I've seen it, 
I've enjoyed the hell out of it more and more and more. And I think it's because it's a movie that you do need to see more and more and more in order to see all the nuances, all the different aspects, all the different glitches and all the different um, things that are happening. Uh, I fully, fully respect and agree that the narration can get overbearing. I also understand that this is dealing with a really morally ambiguous presentation of a very morally unambiguous issue, which is terrorism. Um, I understand how it can be taken as a proponent and a, a, a uh, purveyor of terrorism. However, I think that's actually missing the whole point that this movie is trying to make. Um, and so in, in that sense, I think this is an enjoyable movie. Is it one that makes you feel good? Absolutely not. Is this a movie, though, that makes you think? Absolutely. Yeah. And for that, that is why I am uh, only needing one to feel good and enjoy this first cocktail. I am giving this one a one. So what I want to throw this over to is Jeremiah, my friend. So I feel like Fight Club is a part of our generation. 20 years later, it still holds up. But it's a different film than what I remember. The film is more terrifying. It's viewed in a different light than what I recall when I was young. The film represents our day-to-day struggle as a society. And even so, the times that we live in now, our lives just consumed by social media, the culture, on how many followers and likes we get daily to fill our void only to lose our self-identity. The film speaks volume today as it did 20 years ago. It started as this underground film that gained cult status and now it's labeled as a modern classic of our times. People will keep talking about Fight Club 20 years from now and for that, and for that, it's a half a shot. Hands down. Half a shot? Half a shot. Bro. Or it's a, it's a shot, right? Who are you passing it off to? I'm going to pass it to you, actually, um, Sean. All right, so I think this film is an incoherent, sloppy, over-voiceover train wreck that is trying to be intellectually superior, uh, that almost forgets it's a stupid movie about a mentally ill guy who is so content with his life that he has to go out of his way to tear it all down. Uh, By turning to crime, you can see the desperation of the storyteller to embrace how bad society is and how the individual must try and find meaning wherever they can. But when you discover that the narrator has a mental illness, it makes you wonder how susceptible people are to stupidity when they follow a man who's clearly insane. If anything, this movie is about the fall of man, from an intellectual being who's built skyscrapers and put a man on the moon, using industry to make life better, easier, and wonderful for the majority, back to a time where man all a man had was their fists, and they would follow anyone blindly. This is an insignificant return to the primal urges of man, glorifying violence, glorifying pointless anarchy by masking it with mental illness, and in the end it leaves me, uh, it leaves me at least, on the wrong side of a punch to the face. I give it a four and a half, and it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but I did not enjoy it, except Norton's acting and Brad Pitt's uh, snarky swagger. Everything else was a waste of two and a half hours of my life. I guess I'm the last one. Uh, <laughs> that was a rough morning, almost blacked out there. Uh so I know mental illness. It, I can't even say it anymore. It's this this drink that we've been having is amazing. But mental illness is no joke, and I personally feel like you know this movie touched on a lot of different subjects. You know, and it is like how Jeremiah was saying, and Brandon was saying also. This movie is gonna stand. It's already stood twenty years. Like if people joke about it to still this day, it's in so many different shows still and how like the first rule of fight club is you don't talk about fight club second rule of fight club you don't talk about fight club and you just keep going on with it people it's amazing how there's certain movies that that still stand strong after time goes by and this movie even though how 
there's some there's some spots in it that definitely uh I don't think would stand to the, today if it was made. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Um but I personally feel like it's a, at a two. You know, I feel like it's at a happy buzz. I could have this drink with two drinks. I actually had it with two drinks. So uh, after that, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon just did the math and it came out to be seven. And I was like, I don't think that's right. We've had a lot of cocktails tonight. So Brandon, so Brandon when we combine where, the scores yes, and divide by put? four, where does it put Fight when Club we, on, this, on the average rating? After doing the math correctly, we were looking at Fight Club getting a two. A two. Now, one thing that we did make a little bit of a uh, calculation error, and I'm going to go ahead and take that one on my shoulders. I think it's my fault. Uh, I think it's actually <laughs> it's Eddie's fault. He was the uh, at that at that week. He was the half. Now, not today. You're not the half today, but you are. Uh, you are the full today. You're talking about Garden State. Yeah, we are trying to. I, 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 call I, me out on that one. Huh? I, think, I think it was the drinks. Uh, I, think yeah. was, I think it was it's, the drinks. But it was like, you're talking about your monster vodka. <laughs> oh, that was so freaking good. In Where reviewing the tape, we've discovered what, Brandon? We have <laughs> discovered that Garden State is, in fact, our leading uh, contender right now with a score of 1.375. What's in second place? After that, we have Big Fish coming in with a whopping, get what I did there, a fish whopper, uh, 1.5. American Pie comes in at uh, next with 1.75. Then we've got Fight Club, newly minted today, and Rushmore coming in next at with a score of two. And then after that, we have trailing point, from behind. Point Break coming at 3.375. Which uh, let's be real honest, unless we watch paint drying, probably is not going to be bested this se- this season. I oh, really I hate that you guys Whoa. keep bringing about Point Break every single. No way! I is so upsetting. So you don't even let you don't let it die. So what's after Bill? What's after Bill Dreams? Let it die. What's after Bill Dreams? What's after Bill Dreams? Well, next we have North by Northwest. North by Northwest, and we have Field of Dreams. Then we have Pineapple Express, which, to be honest, I'm looking forward to that drink because I love Pineapple. North by Northwest, Field of Dreams, and Pineapple Express. All right, all right. Well, I'm excited. I haven't seen a Hitchcock movie in a while. So, uh, if you enjoyed the review or are a fan of the podcast, we ask that you please subscribe wherever you're listening and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find us on Instagram at thegentlemanpodcast.com or visit our website at thegentlemanpodcast.com or if you want to reach out by email, please do so at hosts at thegentlemanpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon and cheers. 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 I think that was our best one yet, guys. <laughs> By the way, Brian Cox, always great. Always great. I love Brian Cox. I do too. He's the best. You gotta make sure you say Cox. Yeah, but it's, it's, the, it's the worst. But there hasn't been some. We need to just do one that. There hasn't been the four yet, guys. There hasn't been the four. I think Pineapple Express might be this a four. Could be our, no. This could be our five right Pineapple now. Express that's a two. fucking that's joke of a movie. It's going to be amazing. Pineapple Express is a fucking joke of a movie. If Pineapple you store Pineapple Express, are you serious? If you store Point Break a lot better than. Oh, no. Pineapple oh my is God. Way okay. better than Point Break. Well, I'm going to enjoy the hell There is no fucking plot of Pineapple Express. Get ready for some corn whiskey here, boys. Ooh.